0: to Island Minds, the mental health podcast. Please note, these episodes deal with topics that some listeners may find distressing. For suggested contacts, please see the show notes on our Facebook page after this episode. Hello, Tia.
1: Hello, Hannah. (laughs) That's how we say
0: hello now. Um, I just want all of our listeners to know that what you hear when this actually comes out is not what we record and if we were to show you how many times we had to say hello to get it right in the first place we could do a whole episode on that just all the various different greetings that me and Tia try to get through without laughing it's true um,
1: even the one we're apparently going with is just going to be laughter because we eventually realize <laughs> that's our only option
0: rolling with it this time Every, we always like go back and re-record it and take out the laughter but I'm rolling with it this time it's one sure. of our last episodes of series one so no. let's be authentic yeah I think we should
1: acknowledge that we're people too like maybe not functioning people but
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're just not good at hellos or goodbyes <laughs> yeah. but no so it's lovely here. oh I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I was moving on. <laughs> it's lovely to be chatting to you on the podcast again. It's lovely to be chatting to you too. Did you know that over 700 people have downloaded our podcast? That's amazing. And here we
1: thought it would just be our mums.
0: Yes, we did. And maybe not even them.
1: No, my mum actually doesn't listen to this.
0: So. <laughs> even I think my mum tells me she does but I'm really not sure if she's got the tools or the resources on her phone to do yeah, it so I, I am um I I'm think suspicious same. same for my mum it's not it's not a lack of support it's just... so not only do we have 700 downloads but it has also been downloaded across 18 different countries super cool considering we have so this will be our sixth main episode and we've got two mini episodes that's not a lot if you think 700 we've only got a small amount of actual recordings out there yeah I I just think that's a huge success considering we do this with a mix of equipment in our various bedrooms or living rooms or kitchens or even sometimes the bathroom I'd say that's pretty good going
1: yeah I just hope regardless of Like numbers, people are finding it helpful, and yes, yeah. I'm hoping that we're in some way actually reaching our our goal of normalising these conversations. And
0: I hope so, because really, that's kind of at the heart of it, isn't it? And I think there has been a lot of uh, work when it comes to awareness, especially over the last twelve months. But I still think, regardless of people being aware of mental health. I don't think attitudes have necessarily changed to the extent that there is a a shift in how mental health is viewed. I think it's still very much a problem. Yeah.
1: So I don't think I've mentioned this in the podcast. I no longer work with the donkeys at the castle, (laughs) which is very sad for both of us. It is. But I am doing a great role with the NHS. I'm a mental health peer support worker which basically means I'm using my lived experience to help others, which is awesome. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because I've definitely seen, even though I've seen a lot of good, I still see that attitudes need to change.
0: I just want to say, I think your job, what you do is amazing. And I think it's a wonderful uh, initiative using people with lived experience as well, because I think there's a certain... Empathy and a certain understanding you can have that perhaps those that understand it from a theoretical point of view might not ever be able to grasp in the same way. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. But no, yeah, I'm that, super proud.
1: <laughs> know that every single day my heart is with you and the donkeys.
0: I know. I wish you were still there.
1: <laughs> but no, you you are doing remarkably in that role as well, and have made massive changes you wanted to
0: see happen so very cool I i do love my job very much and i love my team i just wish you were still part of it that's all
1: i know so we said right at the beginning it would be great if we could do episodes on our own mental health at some point and interview each other for it so it's been a long time coming and now obviously since you've become pregnant your mental health journey has become an entirely new journey Yes, and quite the journey it's been for you.
0: So I think it's
1: yeah really important to discuss. I
0: hope so. I hope people haven't gone oh it's an episode about Hannah and turned it off. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't be silly. Okay, sorry, Tia. Yeah, you should be sorry for having feelings. I think <laughs> that's not what we stand for here at Island. Absolutely
0: true, and I. Sorry, I invalidated
1: myself. No, oh, I meant we don't stand for feelings.
0: <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, no, no feelings. <laughs> You're sad. Stop
1: it. That is not not our message here, guys. Just, and speaking of this, <laughs> our, our message, I, I really want to celebrate and make fun of myself for this. Um, I was a guest on the podcast the other night. <laughs> Um, Hannah knows this already, so it's a horror movie podcast called Creative Psychopaths, and I'm plugging it now because it's brilliant. Oh, yeah, you'll I'm plug, you'll plug that, that one. Yeah, yeah. So this gets even funnier. You'll realise why listeners in a minute, but it is a great podcast if you love horror movies. Go and listen, Creative Psychopaths. Anyway, this is so funny because at the end of that podcast, the host asked me if I would like to plug anything, and first I said no, and then he said, "Don't you have a podcast?" and I was like, "Oh yeah." Spoke about it and then said, so listen or don't.
0: (laughs) That was my sales pitch. This is why Hannah's in charge of promoting us. And this is why Tia worked on donkeys and not as a membership salesperson. (laughs) Yeah, I would
1: say I'd be wasted in sales.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I found it cute because, do you know what, if you don't want to listen, don't. Yeah, I mean, That's not one, please listen now, because like you've got this far and we haven't even got to <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, you've stuck with us this far. <laughs> listen, or don't.
1: Or don't. Trigger warning, we are talking about OCD, anxiety, pregnancy and death and childbirth. So oh, welcome, okay. welcome Hannah, it's very nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. oh thank Thank you it's lovely to be here (laughs) we're of course talking about your own mental health journey
0: so can you tell me more about that I can so my mental health journey started at quite a young age although at that time I didn't know I was on a journey of any kind I knew I knew from quite a young age something was a bit different about me than maybe my peers, and I think a lot of people just put that down to me being an eccentric person, a bit dramatic, you know bog standard only child personality traits, but my earliest memories of things being slightly different would be sort of if if we went to the park or the beach, I would be very conscious of time, I would be very conscious of health and safety and if it was getting towards five o'clock I would start getting quite I'd want to go home because dinner time was at this time and dad would be home at this time and if we didn't something bad would happen so I remember that most children don't want to leave the park or the beach they get upset whereas I you know from about I don't know three o'clock onwards I would be going and asking my mum every 10 minutes what's the time what's the time what's the time whereas I guess most children would be hiding behind the roundabout or the swings so that they didn't have to go back um and that seems quite trivial no No, when you look at when you look at kind of how my brain was working at the time yeah those were obvious signs that something was a bit different Mm -hmm so that that's kind of my very first memory is not not seeming to enjoy being out like my friends would be i i noticed that i i was worrying about things that other children weren't and i was very conscious of that even at a young age and we you know we're talking sort of pre double figures so we are talking being conscious quite young yeah but then as i got older i sort of hit my teens these things became more apparent it would appear like I was worrying about things to an irrational extent which often got construed at school as Hannah was being a drama queen or Hannah was overreacting but actually it was because my brain was processing things differently and it was my early teens when the real signs of someone with OCD were sort of showing themselves so I would have very intrusive thoughts. I would have these very vivid, very unwanted thoughts that would come into my head. And when these thoughts came into my head, whatever I was doing at the time, so it could be opening a bottle of Coke, walking through a doorway, turning a computer on. If I had a really bad intrusive thought, I would have to repeat that action until I could neutralize the thought. Yeah. And obviously, as a teenager that didn't understand what was going on, that's a really scary thing. And obviously, everyone has irrational thoughts. But my, my brain and the way in which OCD affects people is that it gives, it gives you, it makes you feel like your thoughts have power. Yeah. So for instance, as an example, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember when we were children there was a tsunami in Sri Lanka on Boxing Day. I do remember. So I obviously remember seeing images of that on the news and then I thought that was my fault because previous to that I had for some reason been in the living room when a film called Deep Impact was on um in which there is a (laughs) tsunami (laughs) and um and, after watching that film, that was what my intrusive thoughts were all centered on. It was tsunamis and things like that. So when that happened i my brain instantly said that was your fault because you didn't I didn't do a ritual properly. I didn't repeat something enough times and when we talk about repetitive behaviors, we're not talking you know turning a light switch on two or three times. we're talking fifty times. There were times when I would have to get up for school at about five o'clock because it would take me an hour just to get in and out of bed, and then going up and down the stairs. So this this is time consuming stuff, and the whole time you're experiencing these really powerful thoughts. Yeah. And we can all sit here objectively and say, "Well, you can't make things happen with your mind." That's fine, but in an OCD sufferer's mind. Your thoughts have power, and the whole point of therapy and things with OCD is breaking that down and making the person believe that actually their thoughts—they—they they cannot make things happen. But again, as a teenager, as a child, it, you don't understand what's happening. Hmm. I'll be honest: the intrusive thoughts have never gone anywhere. You know, I'm 30 now. We're talking about when I was, you know, nine, ten years old. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah, OCD has been a very large part of my life. I mean, mine is all always to do with natural disasters or seeing people that I care about being hurt. And not, yeah. and in some quite dire ways, you know, with there are certain films I can't watch because they would add visuals to the thoughts that I have. Yeah. So I can't watch films like Saw or Hostel... Or, or films of that nature because they will stay with me and then they will be visuals, yeah, that fuel my intrusive thoughts. And there are some series and some films that my partner actually has to watch before me so that we can eliminate the risk of there being what we call like unhannah friendly like scenes, things that are going to make me like trigger off uh, quite a bad episode. Yeah. So. Yeah, see, so little things like that, like not being able to just sit down and watch something is, again, trivial. But you'll be surprised how many of those little trivial things build up and actually take up a lot. It takes up a lot of energy, takes yeah. up a lot of time.
1: I think you're doing yourself a disservice by saying it's trivial because it's impacting on your daily life. Like, uh, p- the, these are things where people who are mentally well just wouldn't have to consider. Mm, that's very true. And to have lived with it for so long as well and to, you know, have to navigate your days around your mental ill health is, is yeah, it's incredibly draining. And um, I think
0: there's there's a point there, isn't there? that actually, people that do have mental ill health, there's lots of considerations you have to make at the start of a day that other people just wouldn't. Yeah. You know, there's there's social occasions you might not go to or you might change your plans because of. Things you're thinking about that in a rational person's mind just wouldn't wouldn't even enter their sort of consciousness
1: yeah so much to consider
0: yeah um, and I remember being at the cinema I can't remember what film this is how much it affected me I cannot remember what film we were at but there was a trailer <laughs> for the day after tomorrow yeah and that was it my yeah. evening was ruined <laughs> because those images yeah, just going through my head, but happening to you know people I know and people I care about, and they, no one wants to see that. No one wants to have that in their minds all the time. It's just not pleasant. Yeah. So yeah, as you well know, Tia, the cinema isn't my favorite place, and that's that's really the core reason. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm scared of what I'm going to see.
1: Yeah. Well, that that makes sense because you can't you can't bet that beforehand unless you send yeah first and. You know, that's just sort of takes the enjoyment out of it, doesn't it? So
0: yeah. That must be really hard for you. It is, it's frustrating because on the one hand, like I like I kept saying a minute ago, it seems like quite a small thing in comparison to the larger picture. But if if that's on your mind all the time and you're worrying about everything that you're gonna see, that's why it's called a, a debilitating illness, because yeah. it, it does take away certain Aspects of your quality of life, yeah, cool. because you are there is an added lo- layer to everything that you've got to do. And yeah. my OCD is beautifully offset by general um, anxiety as well. With anxiety, generally day to day, I I find it very manageable. I think it's when it spikes that it becomes problematic. The only thing that I really still struggle with with my anxiety is overthinking and not being able to turn off yeah so if I misinterpret something um that will be my days off ruined because yeah. I'll think I'm going into work to a shitstorm because I've done something really bad but yeah. actually there's nothing nothing at all I'm fine
1: yeah
0: but over overthinking is a big one like that I could have a conversation with a cashier in a shop and then overthink what I've said all evening yeah or accidentally upset someone And they might be fine with it. They might have said, you know, your apology is fine. It's all good. I won't think it's all good. And I will beat myself up about it for at least 24 hours. Yeah. But growing up, my main anxiety was around being sick. So while I wouldn't say I am a sufferer of emetophobia, I certainly not now since being pregnant. I am, I've got very good at being sick, but as a child, I would say sort of from the age of nine, right through to 12 to 13. I always associated eating with being sick. So in my head, the obvious solution was to not eat. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a period of time when I was actually quite poorly because I just wasn't eating. The only things my mum could get me to eat were like crackers or grapes or cucumber um And that that would obviously dictate a lot of what we, I never ate out. In fact, I've only only started eating out in public. I would say in the last sort of five or so years. Wow. Before that, I would go out and just have like a a drink, or I'd get something but not eat it. Yeah. yeah. But then that you know that controlled everything. So sleepovers, something that's supposed to be a really fun experience for kids. I hated them I dreaded them because like what if I wake up in the night and I'm sick what am I going to do and it wasn't just me being sick but if I had someone coughing or you know someone was sick on tv that was it I would be It, it was very triggering yeah like I said I seem to have I still don't like being sick but I certainly wouldn't say that has any hold over me anymore to that extent and maybe it is the exposure I've had recently but certainly as a child it was a big thing and my OCD impacted that because I would have to say sort of oh god my mum would get so annoyed and at the time didn't realise but you know in the 90s it's really difficult for parents because there wasn't a lot out there about mental health mental health services for children was from my own personal experience a little bit pants but I would have to ask her about I don't know between 20 to 70 times will I be sick will I be sick will I be sick and it would be constant and even if it was if I ate something then I'd have to ask her if I had a little tummy I could have to ask her if I had a cold I'd have to ask her it was like a daily thing yeah just that constant will I be sick yeah just over and over until In my brain, I was convinced. No, I'm not going to be sick. And somehow, she always got it right. (laughs) Whenever she said I wouldn't, I wasn't. (laughs) But obviously, now nowadays, I know that that's colluding with my OCD. So if I was to go up to my mum tomorrow and be like, "Will I be sick? Will I be sick?" She wouldn't answer me. Yeah, because she knows that actually, it's not going to change the outcome if I am or if I'm not going to be sick. But navigating that as a a child and a teenager yeah, really hard. I was very lucky my mum picked up on there being, you know, some odd behaviours and did get me into the system. Not that my experience with child psychologists was very good at all, but we did get a diagnosis and obviously then you're able to work from there.
1: Yeah. How did you feel... When you got your diagnosis obviously you're quite young did that change things did it make it any easier or, or worse or
0: I don't remember how I personally felt when we were given diagnosis of OCD I I don't remember how I personally felt I feel like m- there was progress uh, cuz it took a long time to even be taken seriously my mum and the school nurse who was amazing were the ones that were really ch- championing for me to uh, receive help through CAMs. Or I do remember the reaction of some of the friends I decided to tell, yeah, and that was very much, oh well, OCD's the in thing. And I remember that being for quite a while. And if you look back at news articles about OCD in sort of the 90s and early noughties, they make light of it as like a cleaning disorder quite quite yeah. often. Yeah, I don't remember how I felt. I just remember the general reaction. Yeah,
1: so sad um, to hear that you felt comfortable enough with your friends to do that, and that was the reaction you got.
0: Don't get me wrong. I there were a handful of friends I had at school that were very good, and you know, obviously that was great but it, a lot of it is marred by the general reaction yeah to mental health and obviously kids can be very cruel without even meaning to be yeah um you just you're not mindful at that age of what you're saying because you're not you don't realize there are consequences to things you do and say and i wasn't perfect i'm sure i was not mindful of other people's situations
1: yeah i knew but it
0: wasn't high school wasn't good at all really i had a couple of teachers that I trusted and that was great I'm really glad I had that because if I hadn't I don't really know what would have happened at school which was a shame because I love learning I am a nerd (laughs) but yeah high school and mental health did not were not good it wasn't a good mix it wasn't a good relationship yeah but not good at all not a great time to be experiencing these things and trying to understand what was going on yeah and I think we do have to be a bit more open-minded when it comes to children and young people when they are experiencing mental health because we don't know what's going on (laughs) but even sort of friends close friends it was still Hannah's a drama queen Hannah's eccentric but and I probably did overreact to stuff you know I'm still human but a lot of overreacting came from a place of frustration and emotion and not understanding why I felt the way I did and why I had to do things yeah the way I did
1: as as well as your mental illness you were you're only human so I think that we've talked about before people being too much or like too emotional or oversensitive and and this I, I just hate this idea because people are allowed to feel things and I suppose um that like you had all of like, your normal human experience and and t- being a teenager to to go through yes on, as well as this, so yeah, really difficult.
0: My parents did then decide to throw in a separation during gCScs as well, so that was that was cracking oh,
1: cherry on top of the cake
0: <laughs> so so yeah, so sort of. I'm not saying it was all bad times, like I had some great times. I was part of amateur dramatic society and oh my god, when I was on stage, I had no intrusive thoughts. It was absolutely freaking amazing to the point I would try and cram in so many shows. I remember I was doing Calamity Jane, I was doing The Mikado, and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum all at the same time. Because when I was on that stage, it just went away.
1: Yeah, Do you know what? I don't <laughs> know if you've ever told me that. I think we have not. <laughs> no, I mean I know how much you enjoy being on stage, and um, I know I can like see like for anyone who's not seen Hannah on stage, she belongs on stage, singing away, <laughs> made for it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think I realised how much of a comfort it was. Mm.
0: So the last, so the last thing I did on the island was Calamity Jane. And then I went to uni yeah. and uni was okay. Um, mental health was up and down. I was still still trying to figure out what was going on. Had another crack at therapy, was terrible. And then um, come to 2012. Oh, 2012 was the humdinger of a year because obviously everyone was talking about the end of the world and my OCD. <laughs> if only <Yeah>. they'd known. <laughs> My OCD tends to focus in on, as we've discussed, natural disasters, mm-hmm. um, which actually reminds me, two thousand and six, six and the sixth and six was also a bad day for me, oh, um, because I assumed, well, not assumed, I was convinced, like beyond all doubt, that it was going to happen. Yeah. So that was all great, but twenty twelve, I things went very wrong and I was in a very abusive relationship and things kind of spiraled and I had what I would consider my first ever mental breakdown yeah or episode or I was poorly let's say I was very very poorly with my mental health I became agoraphobic the the main ways I got out and about was through my friend Nick he would drive me to places if I needed to to go out, parties I tended not to go to. So my friends were actually very good. They would come to my house to have parties, which is really, that, you know, that was lovely. Yeah. But it took me a long time to be able to even walk to the local corner shop, let alone get on, you know, a bus or things like that. And it was a really dark time. And that lasted between, I'd say 2012, 2013, going into 2014 but um managed to get a job at Osborne House I think it was the end of 2014 and that gradually started a really positive recovery because I would I didn't have to bus I could just walk across the bridge and walk up the hill Mm -hmm. and that gradually I got better and then I I started going back on stage I think it was about 2015 I started sort of the my sort of gigging and things but from 2012 to then I didn't do anything because even being on stage didn't take any of the OCD or the anxiety or depression away it it was just such a yeah such a horrible time and then there's there is a period of of relative what I thought was normal but what I now realize is I was living with the OCD so still getting the horrible thoughts still being quite a drain on my energy but I just gotten used to that being how I functioned yeah and then at the end of 2020 me and my partner moved out of our flat moved in with my mum temporarily and I had what I would call my second mental break I hate calling that I was poorly was very very poorly yeah um and it was the first time I've ever had to take time off work for mental health I had to cancel gigs I mean most of the gigs were lives then because we were still you know coming out of a lockdown but yes the beginning of last year I was off work quite some time Mm -hmm. I have to say and this won't be everyone's experience I was very well supported in my workplace I will say that now. And I think that's how I managed to get back to work as quickly as I did. But I was unable. Once again, I went into agoraphobic mode. Yeah. Um, I, buses were a complete no-no. And when I did start going back to work, I had some fantastic colleagues that were picking me up and bringing me home. Yeah. I still do have help from time to time. Even now, I have friends that will pick me up and take me in on their way through, uh, which is fabulous. But yeah, the beginning of last year was, was so difficult. I was unable to even contemplate gigging, contemplate going out. I even, this is going to sound really awful, I, because I know somewhere deep inside I did, I didn't even care about donkeys. No. I just, it wasn't. That's not
1: awful to, because you were, to, you were so low.
0: Yeah. Okay. And towards the end, before I eventually said, I need time off. I think my manager actually discussed it with me first. Towards the end, I was going in and I was doing my job, but I just didn't care. And when yeah. you work somewhere like I do, which is beautiful, and you, your job is to look after animals, to not care about that, that is a big deal. And I say I didn't care. I obviously did because I made sure the correct cover was in place. I made sure I kept in contact if I was needed. So yeah. I know in my heart of hearts that there's no way I would have let anything happen. No, of course but from a personal point of view, I just didn't I didn't care, yeah, and that was dark and so last year, considering I've lived with you know these things for some time, last year was the first time I went on medication for my mental health, and i didn't I didn't feel guilty about it, I didn't feel embarrassed, all of the things that had stopped me from accessing medication previously, yeah, I didn't care, I wanted to get better, yeah so and- you know
1: what I think is really just sort of standing out to me and I I remember when you were going through at the end of 2020 you expressed to me that you just felt like you'd gone backwards yes and it was so frustrating for you and I say this to people all the time because mental health recovery is an ongoing journey and it's full of ups and downs and if you hit a down it doesn't mean It's going backwards. It's just part of the journey. I think, Mm. like whether you'd been able to make progress or not, like this was this didn't mean you were going backwards. But I think the fact that you this time you were able to to have medication that shows how how much progress you've actually made, even though at the time it didn't feel like it.
0: Yeah. And I have to say the so the drug I was put on was sertraline, which. I know a lot of people that have experienced anxiety, OCD, or depression will be very familiar with it's. I think it's one of the first ones they try. Yeah. Um, it it was working and it did help, and that alongside talking therapy. I was very lucky. I I managed to um get some therapy through, you know, going through the GP and everything. They they were really they were making a difference and again I didn't feel bad about that if this medication was allowing me to have you know intrusive thoughtless days and to sort of shave off the tip of the anxious iceberg that allowed me to get on buses again and allowed me to go to work allowed me to live my life that was absolutely fine and there was definitely You know, really good progression, really good progression. And then August (laughs) last (laughs) year, something happened. (laughs) Something Uh, wonderful happened. (laughs) And I found out I was pregnant, as we know, as we've discussed in the previous episode. And I thought that was going to trigger another downward spiral. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't to an extent. There are now other anxieties and things that I am dealing with and when I say dealing with actually attending therapy for so mm. not just living with and thinking I'm coping um, but one of the things unfortunately I had to come off my sertraline because it was i being sick all the time um, which I still am now at 33 weeks but the sertraline wasn't helping every time I took one I would be sick but because i think the amount of hormones my body is creating naturally i i i was okay coming off it i didn't notice a spike or anything like that before my morning sickness got really bad i was bussing to work again each day which was a was a fantastic you know thing i think had i not become pregnant i would have still got better but i might be slightly further along with things like travelling the morning sickness by the way when we say morning sickness please assume we're talking about 24 hours a day sickness that obviously has put a bit of a fear of buses back in my mind not because of the journey but the fear of being sick on a bus in front of people yeah so I have relied on lifts and help and um, some of the taxi companies have done very well out of me this year (laughs) and last year but. With my pregnancy, it has not been the easiest or the most enjoyable. It's not an experience I personally recommend, but I am very grateful that I am pregnant and obviously can't wait to actually meet my daughter. She's she's very active. Uh, she kicked her dad in the head yesterday when he was resting on my tummy. <laughs> um, but it, it, yeah, it's not been an easy eight months and I I don't know if I would do it again yeah you never know I'm probably going to have the have my baby in my arms and be like let's do it again <laughs> but one of the things with my OCD so for years and years and years I wasn't going to have children I made my mind up quite young not going to have children because one of the things that my OCD attached itself to when I was quite young was dying in childbirth and I know that I'm told every day, oh, every mother has that when she goes to have a first baby. And I, I understand that I'm not special in that regard. It is a fear that everyone has. But my OCD, I must have been about 12, watched a film. I think it was the Disney version of Oliver Twist, which stars Elijah Wood as the Artful Dodger. You know what?
1: Um, I, know, I know Elijah Wood's your favourite, but he was in Deep Impact as well. So I'd feel <laughs> maybe. You know what? I...
0: <laughs> The problem is Elijah Wood.
1: Yeah, that's the pattern I've seen.
0: (laughs) Elijah, if you're listening to this, could you please leave me and my mental health alone? She doesn't
1: mean it, Elijah. She loves you more than anything.
0: I do love you. I don't mean it. I'm so sorry. But you were in some films that caused me some trauma. Um, (laughs) But at the beginning of this version of Oliver Twist. Yes. um, The mother gives birth to Oliver and then she dies. Mm-hmm. and that stuck with me and I was like I'm never doing that because I will die and I'm not just scared of dying in childbirth I am convinced I am going to like beyond any doubt to the point for the first four to six months of this pregnancy I refused to engage in anything afterwards sort of after the birth because what was the point I wouldn't be here so it was things like well we need to start shopping I don't want to what's the point like I'm not gonna see her in this baby suit. I'm not going to be able to bath her in that bath. I'm not going to see her in in that. So I didn't even want to engage with the fact that I would be having a child. The only thing I could really engage with was what was happening at the time. Which I'm not ashamed of at all. This this is a very deep-rooted intrusive thought that I have lived with for my whole life. So the fact that i am now pregnant it's very scary yeah. because i have lived in the complete and absolute knowledge that i will die i mean i still could um I'm, <laughs> you know but for me it was always a no-no why would i put myself in that situation if i'm going to be so dreadfully convinced of death so for the first few months of the pregnancy my ocd was very bad because i was visualizing me dying in childbirth Mm -hmm. another reason why i wouldn't engage with anything post-birth because if i start thinking about when i had the baby i i would increase the risk of me dying which when you say it out loud sounds ridiculous but that is the power that ocd has and it's it's the power it makes you believe your thoughts have Yeah. So, I have been in therapy. Well, I was in that. Fortunately, you could say this was all very timed very well because I've been having CBT anyway for the OCD. And now we've been able to start working on this fear of dying in childbirth and unraveling it and learning that my thoughts can't make things happen. Things happen because they happen, not because. Of my thought process, mm-hmm. so we and we have made really good progress. I'm still convinced, but I no longer lay awake at night crying about it or seeing it all the time. Yeah, um, and I am now engaged with the fact we're going to have a baby. I mean, we we built our Moses basket yesterday, and I fell asleep with my hand on it. Aww. Like it's it's next to our bed, and I fell asleep holding it. Yeah, um, and you know we. I've started nesting um and we we talk about what we're going to do when she's here we you know we call her by name um we've now got things in our bedroom everyone keeps asking how's the nursery and I'm like it's not a nursery I've got a bloody shelf in my bedroom leave me alone (laughs) but yeah so now I'm able to engage properly now I'm very excited yeah but for a very long time I just wasn't excited which is sad because this is an amazing time. I'm very grateful that I can do it. And you also have a lot of guilt that follows you with that because there are amazing women, amazing men out there, amazing families, amazing people that desperately want children, but for whatever unfortunate reason can't. So when I used to hear myself talk about how much I hated this, how much I didn't want this, I would then feel really guilty because uh, how dare I? How dare I be given this gift that others have been denied and, and really want? And it's not that I don't want my daughter, my God, I do. But I just I have nothing good to say about the process from a physical and mental point of view. Although that being said, I have been told that I've done quite well and I, I expected worse in terms of my... Holding it together, I guess. But yeah, it's not been easy. And I have found a lot of judgment in when you say things, you often hear that, oh, yeah, women feel like that, all women do that. Well, all women might, but this is still how I feel. Yeah. And the OCD and the anxiety doesn't make it any easier. That deep rooted in instilled intrusive thought of dying doesn't make it any easier you've done without the sickness that would have been great <laughs> yeah
1: it kind of like that thing we spoke we spoke about it in an early episode i think yeah. <laughs> you know it, it's another way where people on like they have good intentions but they dismiss what you're feeling so saying oh well everyone does is I know they're trying to normalise it and help you feel like it's not an isolated thought, but yeah, it's still your personal experience. And sometimes all you need is someone to say, that shit, I'm sorry, sorry you feel that way.
0: You know, now that I'm here, you know, we're, we're at the end game now. I'm eight months pregnant. We're getting all those late pregnancy signs. I mean, baby is getting ready. Yeah and the closer I get to it you know I know it's coming and I know that actually it could be any day I am still scared but it's it's manageable now at the beginning of this pregnancy it was not manageable I will say I was very surprised because um, you know no offense to the hard-working people in the mental health services um, you do hear a lot of horror stories about the mental health services at the moment, we know there's a lack of funding and things, but it's a very scary thing to go into when all you hear a lot is quite negative things. So I've come into this a bit worried, but I cannot fault the support I've had from a mental health point of view. Like I said, I have my, my counsellor that I had anyway before I found out I was pregnant. I have a wonderful mental health midwife. And um, in November last year, St Mary's also got its like first perinatal psychologist in place so they are really investing in perinatal mental health which is amazing because I remember we did an episode with a guest who was talking about having you know quite a poor experience with the perinatal health services and I have been in the fortunate position that I have actually received amazing care and I'm very grateful for that and it's been really good to see progress in investment in that area I'm getting support from everyone like I'm a pregnant woman people seem to just be generally nicer to me even strangers although please stop touching my stomach (laughs) ask just ask me that's fine if you come up to me and say can I I'm probably going to say yes because I've got to the point now, I'm quite proud of how large my stomach is. But please just don't do that. Don't go up to a woman and just touch their tummy. I, I know that our our previous guest mentioned this happened to her. It's mad that people all of a sudden think it's okay. Yeah, Don't do that. Bad. But no, I mean, generally, this has been a very positive experience. But it has been interesting to see some of those cliches stereotypes that we've heard about in previous episodes. They do happen. Yeah these are very cliche but people do say things like oh it was about time or you started your family it's like, no 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 it happened it happened because it happened I already had a family there was no time it just no stop yeah, you're saying not, all
1: those your experience as a woman is not now validated because you've done your primary function
0: <laughs> exactly and it yeah and oh god people like, almost forget that you're you're part of this it's always yeah. how's baby it's like well I'm fine thank you uh <laughs> and it's lovely that people are so excited but it's like hello I think I said you, we
1: were talking about your baby shower and me and our friend Rosie were saying "We're like we'll get presents for Hannah we don't even know this kid <laughs> why should you get presents <laughs> quite right
0: I wouldn't yeah it wouldn't <laughs> nice to receive some presents that one can enjoy after the birth (laughs) (laughs) it's all about the baby (laughs) um and and a lot of people still generally the way they talk about the father to the mother is very different two examples of this I've received a bit of criticism because I've started booking a few gigs later on in the year which is completely my choice Mm -hmm. and someone asked me who would be looking after the baby when I was doing these gigs Mm -hmm. and I and in particular for the jubilee week and I was like well we've arranged it you know her dad and the response I got was oh so Jack's going to be babysitting uh no Jack's going to be looking after his daughter. There's two of us. I am the mother, he is the father. When we are with our child, we are not babysitting. Yeah. That's that's not how it works. He is as important to this process as I am. And then someone else sort of said, oh you know, does Jack mind you taking on these gigs? Like, "What, what do you mean? Like what what are you what are you actually asking? And it's yeah. like, well, you know, it's it's your time to be a family. The small and I will stress small amount of gigs I had taken on, by that time Jack will actually be back at work full time. So he will have his routine back. He will actually have quite a normal, you know, part of his life back. Yeah. And no one seems to ask the question, Oh, how does Hannah feel about you being back at work part time and you know her being the one yeah at home but yeah with me it's oh how does Jack feel about you do you know what singing and gigging big part of who I am and a big part of my identity yeah and why shouldn't any mother be able to have just a little bit of herself yeah now obviously if at any point something happened that meant no one could look after my child my child will always come first but there just seems to be there's still sexism when it comes to mum and dad yeah if jack worked for a similar organisation to me we would do things differently i would take short term maternity and he would take long term paternity yeah because he he was born to do this he has wanted children you know forever he's so good with his nieces and nephews he is th- th- he is born to do this yeah I'm not I wasn't born to do this I am glad I'm doing it well not glad of this part but yes (laughs) I can't wait to meet her but this is this is not something I ever really considered that I would do it's lovely that I as the mother getting a lot of support but while I have received the support I, I have been very conscious of the lack of consideration for the dad because obviously I get it. I am the one carrying the baby. I am experiencing all the emotional hubbub. My body is the one that's changing. I've had to make considerable changes to my life, but he is also the dad. He is also about to experience a life changing you know situation, and they're just they're no. At no point has it been sort of said to me, all, oh, you know, this is the support we have in place for new dads or for... It's just, it doesn't seem to be something that's talked about at all. It's a difficult time for men because they're a part of it. They're the dad. And I think they want to do more, but they can't. What What more can they do? Like the baby is cooking inside me. Um
1: And also, like you said, with, with paternity, like it's so, it's such a like mad system when you think about it that it's they very mad have two weeks and and to like to yep that and that it's in of itself like is just must be so hard on both sets of parents but also like you said they not having that mental health support earlier to sort so yeah you
0: know,
1: not preparing the dad for this life-changing event where like you said you're carrying the baby and I'm not trying to say like one experience is harder than the other but I like hormonally, you're, you know, your body's preparing you for this. Whereas, yes, yeah, like the the men just like, you know, you always hear them say it's not until they see the baby that it sort of hits. them.
0: Yeah, and unfor- unfortunately, they are as much as I think men want to help as much as they can. There will always be a feeling of being on the sidelines because there is only so much you can do at this point. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that would um, be really hard. So to not have yeah support for them yeah it doesn't seem right just like to take a moment to say this also applies to specific support for the other parent regardless of gender or how they identify
0: yeah absolutely
1: we're talking in terms of men and women here because of your own experience
0: yeah and it yeah i i have just found in my experience there is a disregard for how jack is is doing or feeling and the way we talk about fathers just the terminology is is so wrong one thing I will touch on very briefly there was an article quite a controversial article the BBC posted a few weeks ago and it was all about male postnatal depression Wow! Okay. obviously a lot of people went on there going how can men have postnatal depression they don't give birth they don't have the hormonal imbalances etc etc but regardless of whether you've carried the child or not your life has just changed immeasurably yeah and it we need to normalize this idea that men can feel these things too they yeah. they may be triggered by different things so yeah i think there need does need to be more of a conversation around how the other parent in my case the father is supported from a, a mental health point of view because this isn't just happening to one person. While it is, you know, one person's journey with with the growing of the baby and going through all the body changes and thinking, "Oh God, what's that pain? Oh God, what's that? What's What's happening now? Oh my God!" um You know, they're human too. The other parent has feelings, has needs, has worries. Yeah, has anxieties which will only increase once the baby is here uh, especially first time parents first time dads i've i've tried so hard to ensure that jack is included um, but it it it's it's a difficult thing it's a difficult balance but there certainly needs to be more more of a a shift in the way that the father is approached by the medical professionals and i think just people in general the way we talk about the father they're not babysitters yeah um he is her dad and he will be doing exactly the same job i will be doing and that is bringing her up and loving her yeah unconditionally yeah oh cute but two weeks two weeks statutory paternity but society accepts that so man goes back to work after two weeks great he's going and providing for his child if i was to say well i'll take the two weeks statutory jack you have long term i would be called a bad mother people would be telling me on facebook we shouldn't have kids then if that that do you know what that's bollocks Mm. Uh, you you can love a child and you can bring a child up in a healthy environment while still retaining you know yourself your your so a large part of my therapy has been about grieving grieving the loss of my life yeah before the baby but actually I'm not losing anything there is an addition to my life there is going to be this amazing wonderful addition that just becomes part of my life and that's that's what's really important my daughter will become part of my life and I will be part of her life forever my daughter will always come first now now that she is almost with us she will always be my first priority above all else but I am also not prepared to give up my identity as me yeah I will still have the parts of me that make me Hannah and not just mum yeah and that some people might hear that and think oh but I am
1: I am unmoved in this yeah, well, no, you're
0: absolutely right. It's so important. People are super judgmental about the fact I want to cut my maternity short and go back to work slightly earlier than mm. I can. And a lot of people have said things like, oh, back in my day, you know, I got a month or I got a few weeks. And that makes me really sad. But it doesn't mean I have to take the entire time of maternity that is offered to me. What is great is that I have the choice. Yeah, But women, I mean, not all women, there are still some organisations that really don't have their maternity uh, support down and a lot needs to change. I, in the same way that my mental health was dealt with very well at work last year, my maternity has been dealt with superbly by my manager. I cannot fault. But the fact that I have the choice, that's what we've worked towards. Yeah.
1: I just want to say from everything you've told me but um while we're talking about the pregnancy you you have done incredibly well and I'm so proud of you thank you it's
0: not it's not something that comes natural to me anyway I'm not a maternal person I haven't spent my life you know dreaming about the day I have my first child which again makes me feel guilty but I, I love her I love her already like you know I can't I can't even put into words how much I love her but yeah it's it's not I mean I guess if I don't die in labour it's going to be the biggest fuck you to my OCD because it will finally show me that yeah do you know what my thoughts can't do anything although actually I will just put point out if I do die please don't think it was my thoughts that did that something else would have happened I don't want people to start thinking oh my god my thoughts did that we all need to start thinking please please don't
1: that's not my point I'm not going to try and dismiss your thoughts because no amount of logic is going to help as you've said but you can't die because I love you too much and also <laughs> I, I'm, I'm godmother so I really don't want that responsibility oh god yeah <laughs> I am
0: kidding. I was <laughs> trying to make light of something very serious,
1: and I think it was not the time.
0: <laughs> it's fine. I have made many a joke about this situation. Yeah. I felt I, you know, that's why, I, like you felt like you're in joke zone. So I, I... I was in joke zone.
1: Okay, welcome to joke the, zone.
0: I mean, these are very difficult things to live with, but there are times of lightheartedness. There is a time and a place for that in your life and there you still have a sense of humor about these things but it's being mindful of when the time is right and knowing your audience yes and things like that it's just about being mindful because you know I mean we know when we talk together we're in a safe space we do make jokes or or we make light of the situations we find ourselves in but there are times when people should be more aware of what they're saying in front of people. <clears throat> and obviously when we when we say OCD, it immediately conjures the image of you know, cleanliness, tidiness. And we hear things like, oh, I'm a bit OCD or, oh, I wish my partner was more OCD or, oh, OCD is when everything has to be in a line. Well, yes and no. OCD isn't just about tidiness or cleanliness or fear of germs it's it's intrusive thoughts and to be honest yes the the hygiene cleanliness side of it does make up quite a large proportion of the percentage of what OCD sufferers experience but there are so many others while OCD is you know cleanliness makes up part of it there are other things that people will experience I mean I'm not tidy I work around donkey poo all day like (laughs) hygiene isn't it's not something that bothers me yeah but I I get this all the time it happened with my nail technician (laughs) my nail technician I get my nails done about once in a blue bloody moon she was doing my nails and she was like oh I'm a little bit OCD and I sort of sat there and was like (laughs) because she meant no harm by it she meant absolutely no harm at all it is a natural thing for people to say when they're talking about they like things to be neat or tidy but the other half of my brain was like, oh, yeah, but you're not, are you? Because that's not what OCD is. It's not about you know being like, oh, I just like, I like a tidy house.
1: Yeah, it must but yeah. It must be so frustrating because it's
0: it's very common for people to make comments about it. Bit like the weather being bipolar. That's yeah, yeah. another common yeah thing. So. And and I don't I, that one I do call out because I think that's quite damaging.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the thing. These aren't just throwaway comments. You've got to understand Mm -hmm. that it has a wider context attached to it and it can be incredibly damaging. So, yeah, yeah, it's just just as we said, be
0: mindful and consider other people's feelings. I think one of the things that frustrates me the most with OCD is that people do assume it's one thing and one thing only oh you wash your hands well yeah a lot of people with OCD do have that they do have to wash their hands a lot and there is a a, there is contamination OCD and it's just as debilitating as any other type of OCD but the reasons they are debilitating isn't necessarily because they're washing their hands. It's what's going through your head at the time you're doing it. And I cannot stress this enough. From a rational person's point of view, you know, you know that you're not going to cause anything to happen with your thoughts. But that's just not how our brains are wired. We believe there's power in the thought and not in a positive way. Oh my God, a couple of weeks ago, I was at my therapy session and bearing in mind my therapy sessions are all about helping me break down this idea that thoughts can... Things there was a day a few weeks ago. I don't know if it was something to do with the moon or some other astrological phenomenon when it was supposed to be like a portal day, so you could will things to happen like good things, positive things. And I was sat there going, That's a really lovely thought, but I'm literally here trying to learn that I cannot do that with my mind.
1: Yeah, so don't, I don't can... tell me I can do it for good stuff, but that it doesn't work. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm all for positive vibes, positive feelings. I'm not for toxic positivity. I have no time for that crap. You can have days when you make excuses for yourself. It's absolutely fine. Don't give me any of those affirmations. That must
1: have been so frustrating.
0: (laughs) It was. I mean, one of the exercises I found really useful, and it seems so, so small and so easy to do now, one of the very first things my therapist told me to do when I was at work, she said, are there any landmarks you can see from from work? And I said, well, I work at a very tall castle where I can see quite a few landmarks. So I said I could see Whitecroft or Gatcombe Manor, however however it's being styled these days. And she said, right, every day this week, I want you to look at um, Whitecroft and think about it falling down. And then next week, when you come to therapy, you tell me if it's still standing and guess what, it was still standing, because guess what, my thoughts can't make it fall down, and it was such a simple exercise, but it was like, oh god, yeah, I can't, I can't make things happen, and I can't stop things from happening, yeah, I, I mean, my brain's still, I still have the intrusive thoughts, and some days it's, it's very hard to cope with them healthily, but I am now able to, in a lot of cases, push them aside and not go through with the repetitive action um, or the obsession. Yeah. In in years previous, if I had stopped myself from doing a a ritual, I would have one of two reactions. One would be like a, a physical tick. I would hit myself in the face. And that was something I was doing up until very recently, Until I got the therapy. And that's not actually something I don't I think Jack's the only person that knows that. I'd literally punch myself in the face several times because the overwhelming fear, anger, and frustration that oh I've not done that, now that's gonna happen. It is like an immediate panic. There's no naught to sixty, it just happens like that. Yeah. But now I'm able to visualize those intrusive thoughts, getting on a train and pissing off out of the station. Yeah. Which again seems like a really small exercise. No, those things are great. Does it does make a massive difference?
1: Yeah, I have one with with uh, my anxious thoughts get stuck in a loop. I like to hmm. myself with a sword cutting the loop in half. It just works for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is, but it is those little things, isn't it? That just they help your brain. I don't know it doesn't rewire your brain but it all
1: gives you back some control and power I guess exactly exactly and I found this I don't know if you found this with therapy the things that like you said might sound either silly or quite simple things sometimes someone saying the right thing to you can you know it's quite a simple thing they can say but because you're so you're so in the middle of it of your own mental illness you just can't you can't you wouldn't have got that yourself (laughs) someone else to say it to you or to do uh, an exercise that leads you to that and it's yeah it can be really great
0: yeah i mean i think one of my biggest pieces of advice if you if you have a friend or a family member that has come to you and and said look i have ocd the best thing you can really do is say you know just support listen and understand ask you know what you know what what form does it take you know how how does it manifest because everyone's experience will be different you know I've sat here and said mine has nothing to do with cleanliness but there's a big stereotype that that's what OCD is but I have friends with with OCD and it it is about contamination it's about germs some people get the fear that they're going to shout out obscenities in public or they're going to hurt someone you get people that fear that they're going to just walk down the road and and hit someone, you, they're not, but that it's so in their head that that's what they might do.
1: Is there any advice you would give to to people suffering with OCD?
0: Remember you're absolutely not alone if if you see things that make light of it, your feelings are valid. Talk to those around you. Yeah, talk to. The people you trust because having people understand how you work will make a difference uh, and it's very helpful
1: i think that's true of all mental ill health yes. as well. and 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 not just mental health but just generally in life having a support system i mean yeah. not everyone does um and some people are isolated but it, if there are Means of support
0: available to you. Yeah. To tr- use and the only other piece of advice I would say is I've been very arrogant throughout my life. I had, when it comes to OCD, I had three very bad experiences of therapy to the point where I absolutely swore a therapy altogether and was quite arrogant in the fact that nothing that a healthcare professional could tell me was ever going to help me because, frankly, my experiences have all been appalling.
1: Anna, i'm going to interrupt yeah. there that is not arrogant that is that is your like literally we learn from our experience and your experience is telling you that it didn't help and it, it was actually detrimental so forgive yourself for that okay
0: thank you Tia. <laughs> <laughs> but this time around i've had a very positive experience with my therapist and i'm very lucky the um the care I've had while I've been pregnant has been super good. So I have a mental health midwife. I have a perinatal psychologist working with me as well, plus my um, IAPT counsellor. And I have made progress this time. And while the thoughts are still there, they don't rule my life quite as much as they did before. So if you're sat there thinking, no, 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 there's nothing. No, I've tried that, I've tried this. I understand that. I so understand that because I've been there and you know what I might be there again one day but that don't don't rule out help because I kind of wish I had had this experience much earlier yeah because I think the road to recovery would have happened at a time when I wasn't also growing a human inside me (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and I know I've applied myself a lot more this time around because you know, there's, there's a time pressure, please don't rule out help, it, whether that be through talking job. therapy or medication, as I said, it took me to the age of 31 to take medication for something that was absolutely ruling my life, so yeah. please consider that there are options, don't be like me and be cynical and arrogant about it and think oh,
1: arrogant it <laughs> now,
0: please do open yourself up to to try other things, you might not be ready to right now, but there might you know there might be a time when you are ready and and, and take take those opportunities because so it, it might it might help even a little bit which is very important that is excellent
1: advice Hannah thank yeah, you I
0: think that's thank a really important. important point
1: this is a second time this week I've quoted this but I always think of that quote in the whole day when you know when we're saying to people we've we've been in your situation of not wanting to get help and they're probably Thinking how we did at the time when people said that to us, and thinking, Yeah, right. It's that yeah. quote where I know people always say, I know how you feel, but I actually know how you feel. <laughs> how you feel, yeah. I know, as as we've said before, everyone's experience is, is unique. There's no one size fits all with mental health, but in general terms, we know how you feel. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with me hannah i know you've talked about some very personal things and um that can't have been easy and
0: thank you yeah and it, it is difficult and that's why i'm always so proud of the people that come onto our podcast because i i feel quite comfortable talking to you because i know you but to some of our guests we've actually been strangers yeah so
1: really appreciate it if anyone is triggered by anything from today or wants to learn more about any of the things we talked about or if they need support we'll put links with the episode Uh as usual so you can find those there
0: if you have been affected by any of the topics covered in today's podcast please see our show notes on our facebook page for our suggested contacts if you're interested in talking on our podcast please get in touch through the facebook page we'd love to hear from you Stay safe, you wonderful